0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's a lively morning. Uh, A bit, a bit. Yes. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. Praise the Lord for his goodness to us. And also thanks to everyone who came to the Lamington, uh, what is it? No, the Lamington construction. Yeah, assembly stations yesterday. So yes, uh, thanks to all those who donated money and bought Lamingtons and ate Lamingtons and been praying for the Cambodian trip, and uh, we did raise $2,855 toward that. So praise the Lord for that, and uh, may the Lord use that money and that team from all over the world to really... Uh, bring the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ to those people and to be a blessing throughout the world. So thanks again for that. Uh, We also have the roster is out in the foyer. So there's clipboards. Please uh, take a look. And if you want to sign up for something, today's the day. So Trudy is going to be taking that and putting it together um, this week. So take a look and uh, praise the Lord for bringing us together as a family and using us for his glory. So let's pray. Uh, Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us all, that you are our Father, that you have uh, sent your Son to be our Savior, that we have been born again through faith in Jesus, and that you give us a living hope, that you brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, and that we live because you live. We have the opportunity now to proclaim your goodness and your love through our lives. And thank you for your faithfulness to us, to open our eyes to understand your truth and to convict us of sin and to show us our need to rely upon you every moment. And thank you for our brothers and sisters here today, that we could gather those watching online and just pray that you would um, bless and strengthen and minister to our hearts by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 29 is where we'll be today, if you want to turn there. There's a funny old John Wayne clip in the movie Hondo. I don't know if there's any John Wayne fans out there. Uh, but he's, he's chatting with a boy by the pond who's fishing, and he's advising him based upon the, the, sun's, the sun and the skies. Like, you know, you want the, sky, the sun in your face, not on your back, because you're casting a shadow. And the boy's like, I, I can't go on the far bank because I can't swim. And he's like, you can't what? He says, I can't swim. How old are you? Six. So the trooper promptly relieves the boy of his bamboo pole, picks him up, and chucks him in the pond. Because uh, that's the way he learned to swim. And I actually did see this technique in person once. I don't recommend it. It was in a pool, and the dad knew how to swim. But I was like, okay. Sink or swim, they say. And the idea is, is that um, no help is given. That if you're going to swim, it will be by your own effort. You have to do it. You have to use your strength. And from a, from a worldly viewpoint, we could say that this is kind of what Jacob was doing um, from, I guess, from a not knowing God. And you looked at Jacob. He's been sent to Haran. He has no camels, no servants, no gold for dowry to, to have a wife. And yet he's going there on his own effort. But the reality was God was with him. And he wasn't, it wasn't a sink or swim situation because God was carrying him. God was leading him. God was guiding him and providing for him, strengthening and carrying him. So he was on his own, but he was not alone. And there's a big difference between that. And we're not alone because God is with us and we can rely upon him. And God was with him and he's faithful to be with us as well. So we pick up Jacob on his journey in Genesis 29 verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there. And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. In the previous chapter, God had revealed himself to Jacob with a dream, with that ladder reaching from earth to heaven. And God stood above that ladder... And he made a promise to Jacob that he would be with him, that he would make him a blessing. And he affirmed that promise that he had made previously to Abraham and Isaac. And that of him, he would be making him a great nation, that in him all families of the earth would be blessed. And this is a man who doesn't even have a wife or a child at that time. So there's this trust in God required moving forward and God had promised in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen in this dream, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So this personal revelation of God, it, it helped Jacob. It put a spring in his step. He was encouraged and comforted on this journey because he had 800 Ks to go on foot to go to a place he's never gone before to find a wife. Because his dad told him to. So he's, he's trusting God in this journey. And reliance upon God, that's a good definition of faith. That act of reliance of God marked by obedience to him. Relying on him. Not just believing that he exists or he could help. But relying on him. Trusting him. Looking to him. Following him. That God's going to keep him wherever he went. That God was going to lead him safely and bring him back too. That he would be successful. So there's this expectancy that God is with me. He's going to protect me and help me. And we can have that too if we're in Christ, even in a foreign land. So he continues this trek northeast until he arrives at this well. It says that there's three flocks of sheep lounging around the well, just waiting to water the sheep. Water was life. There was a stone covering the well and that prevented it from contamination if something should fall in or evaporation. It's a hot, arid environment. You don't want your water evaporating. And also a safety feature. You don't want things falling into it. You know, a child falling in or an animal falling in and and dying and contaminating the water as well. So verse four, so Jacob and Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Jacob strikes up a conversation with these shepherds. He's like, hey, brothers, where are you from? And they're like, we're from Haran. He's like, I mean, he doesn't celebrate at that moment, but this is where he's going, right? He's going to Haran, so he he's well on his way. And he asked if they knew Laban, the son of Nahor, and they did, and they said, well, his daughter, she's coming right now with the sheep. And we could say this was a remarkable coincidence if we didn't realize that God had orchestrated it, right? God had helped him. God had led him. God was bringing her at that same time. It It's very reminiscent of the servant of Abraham going to the well. And he's praying, God, show me the one that you've appointed for my master's son. And while he's praying, Rebekah comes to the well. And then he knows it's her Laban's sister. And they end up getting married. And now his son is there at a well. Don't know if this is the same well, but he's at a well. And Rachel is drawing near. And as Rachel's coming, this gives us some insight into Jacob. And he wonders why the shepherds haven't watered the sheep yet. It seemed an ideal time. They're just sitting around. It would be a bit uh, inconvenient to try to water the sheep at the same time as the cattle. You've got all these animals uh, interdispersed and it would be more difficult. He's like, this is what you should do. And he starts telling these guys how they should keep their sheep. And this tells us a few things about Jacob that he had a working knowledge of animal husbandry. He may have been a man of the tents, but he had observed or been involved with the watering of the sheep, and he had a keen mind to be efficient in labor. It also shows he's not afraid to speak his mind, right? He's in a foreign land, and he's telling these shepherds, he's not asking them. He's not saying, why do you do this? He's saying, look, it's this time of the day, do this. So he's a man of authority. He's used to telling people what to do. They explained their practice. We wait until all the flocks have gathered. Then they move the stone. These guys were not really motivated. They wanted people, other, someone else to do the heavy lifting. And this was their tradition. They're like, we just wait until they move it. Once they move it, then we water the sheep. It was very laid back. Jacob seems a little bit more, as we'll see. He, he's a go-getter. Verse 9. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, That he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Jacob's discussing watering routines and things of interest to shepherds. As that's going on, Rachel is plodding up with the sheep. She was a shepherdess, so that was her job. That's what she did normally. And when he saw his cousin and his uncle's sheep, what did, he, what did Jacob do? He went and removed the stone by himself and drew up water to water her sheep. And I'm sure pleasantries are being exchanged. They're talking. And uh, yeah, this, he was a fit man, accustomed to labor. And um, they're like, yeah, this foreigner, he does things a little bit differently. I wonder what their opinion was of Jacob at that time. But it says he kisses Rachel. It was a common greeting in that day in culture. He lifted up his voice and wept. And it was such a culmination of what God had done. Thanksgiving to God for bringing him all that way and making his trip successful, uniting him with his kin. And she runs and tells her father. Laban comes and runs and kisses him, brings him into the house, and they start uh, speaking. How good is God that he is with us and he keeps us? That he's brought us all the way to where we are today. And we may not feel like we've accomplished much or gone far, but know that God is with you. God has been keeping you. God has been protecting you and providing for you all this time. And scripture is filled with occasions like this where God was faithful to keep his promise. He answers prayer. He helps his people. God made Sarah. To laugh, who for 90 years had been barren, had no child. And at God's promise, she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. In the book of Exodus, God said he was going to bring his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He does these 10 plagues, he parts the Red Sea, they pass around dry land, and they were jubilant when God destroyed their enemy who pursued them. We also have a personal testimony, don't we, of how God's been faithful to us to provide how he gave us groceries when we had none, or how he he provided, we were drowning in depression, we were drowning in debt, and he helped us. I think of when I came to the fellowship many years ago, we were in debt. These two units were, we had a loan for like $1.1 million that that we still owed. And it was something that I would pray about, and it was like, I did the maths, and I, I said, if we don't even have to pay interest, I don't think we're paying this off in my lifetime. I don't see it happening. But, by God's grace, came to a board meeting, and I'm told, oh, the debt has been forgiven. Been forgiven in full. And I'm like, wow. I don't hear that term used very often when it comes to finances, something being forgiven. But the debt was completely forgiven. And it's like God does these things. He, he keeps his word. He uses the generosity of his people. He does awesome things beyond number. And it's good for us to proclaim his goodness and his faithfulness to help us and provide and just do things that are, they seem impossible, where someone changes, where there's new life, where there was deadness and lostness. And now we have come to a place of just turning our eyes from the problem and just saying, God, you are so awesome. You did exactly what you promised to do and beyond what I could have imagined you doing. And you did it in such a way that was phenomenal. And to God, may he receive all glory. God's goodness really is overwhelming if we would allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by it. We just think about that for a few minutes, how good God is. All the things he has done, the things, and so much that he saved us from that we didn't even realize we were in danger. Let's praise and honor and glorify him. So Jacob explains to Rachel, he's a relative, and he's brought into Laban's house, and it says, So he told Laban all these things. Jacob tells Laban everything about himself and he's saying things that would put him in a good light with his kin. So he's telling him about his parents. He's telling him about his brother. He shares everything about the blessing, the birthright, the dream, everything that's transpired along the way and that he's going there for a wife. He lays it all on the table to a man he doesn't really know. And we'll see Laban's true colors will come out as a, as a deceitful person, a tricky person. And Laban says, surely you are my bone and my flesh. Based upon everything that Jacob said, he's like, this is the kind of guy I want to be connected with. He's receiving a large inheritance. He's a man of authority, a son of a, a powerful man. He's the kind of person I want a connection with. So he's like, right on, you're, you're like me hang out with me. A month passes. Verse 15, then Laban says to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. It was customary to extend hospitality to people, even strangers that would come by for days. You would entertain them, you would feed them, you would refresh them for a while, and then they'd be on their way. But if they stayed for a period of time, they would begin to help out in the household. And contribute, and Jacob began to contribute to the labor of the household. And it wouldn't surprise me if he spent some time with Rachel. We see that he's he finds her attractive and beautiful, and he's out with the sheep occasionally, and maybe he's given her a day off, and he's watching the sheep. And he he clearly had knowledge of how to keep animals and feed and water them, and he was not afraid to do hard work. And Laban brings up the topic of wages. Based upon the character of Laban, this wasn't because he's a super generous guy, it's because he's wanting to lock up Jacob for a period of time and saying, here's this, I have an opportunity now to hire somebody who can really benefit this business, who can benefit this family. It's kind of like the NRL, where it's like, you're a quality player, they try to get you for a long-term contract and they say, say your price, we'll pay you, we want you to stay here. And so he's like, name your price, Jacob, I'm not going to just keep you on not paying you. And Jacob says, I'll work seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Now we see he had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And there's a lot of opinions on Leah's delicate or tender eyes. We do see that they're contrasted with the beauty and the form of Rachel. So it says she had eyes like this. Some people think her eyes were her most beautiful quality. Other people say that she had an issue with her eyes. But regardless, it was Rachel that he loved, the younger daughter. And he says, I'll work seven years, which is a long time. It's like Laban, I believe, would have given her for far less time to a well-connected family member. But he's like, and now I have leverage. I have something that he wants. So this was very pleasing to Laban. So it's, it says Jacob served um, seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And this is really an endearing, amazing thing to say, right? It's very romantic. Jacob may have told Rachel, I love you, but he showed that he loved her by his faithfulness to put in those seven years, joyfully, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote that love suffers long and is kind. It's willing to suffer because of love for the object, right? In this case, his love for Rachel. So he suffered long. He worked hard. Seven years of labor. Seven years weren't an obstacle to his love that vaporized years into days where he was just thinking of the prize. He's like, she will be mine. And he kept working. He kept serving. Love serves without thinking, what about me? When you have that thought that comes to your mind, this isn't fair, what about me? No, that's not love talking. That's usually me talking, me thinking, right? That's the flesh that's saying, well, what about me? What, I deserve something. So love, it's, and we see Jacob demonstrating what love is. It's willingness to work, willing to put in the heavy lifting, the hard yards, yourself, yourself. Not waiting for someone else, but you doing it. You taking the initiative. That's love. Love works. Love serves. Love also waits. For seven years, they abstained from sexual activity. Something, sadly, pretty much unheard of today. And sex and love are not the same thing. There are people that think, if if I will have sex with someone before marriage, that shows me they love me. Or I can get someone to love me by having sex with them. But the fact is, love will wait if you love someone and you treasure your virginity that God has given you as a gift, then you'll wait to use that exercise rightly within the marriage covenant before God. Because the popular hookup culture today, it's really a culture of self-love rather than love of others, a love of God. Love suffers long and is kind. Love serves others. It works. It's willing to wait. Anyone can wine and dine with a hope to receive, but love gives. That's what we see Jacob doing. He's giving. He's waiting. He's serving. And we see a great, the best demonstration of love in our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he gave himself, right? God gave his only begotten son that we could be born again that we could be united with him in his kingdom, that he would be crucified. So he didn't just come as like a business trip. No, he came and lived and walked among us in a human body, and he went to the cross. He suffered. He was rejected. He was hated. But he suffered so that we could be redeemed through his shed blood. We love Jesus because he first loved us, and because we've received his love, now we love the brethren And we serve, we work, we wait, we patiently endure with joy. And it's not our love for God that compels us. It's God's love for us. Our labor is to be motivated by the love of God for us that we have received. And we are rejoicing in him. And thus we serve. Thus we labor. That's just extravagant love, isn't it? That we could be called children of God as a result. That transforms us completely by his grace. Verse 21, seven years passed quick. Then Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. After seven years, he's like, all right, it's time. I've been counting the days. He didn't have a little app on his phone that's counting down hours to the minute. But he's like, it's time. So Laban, I'm a man of my word. Jacob gets everyone together, has this feast. But Laban deceives Jacob by dressing up Leah, his older daughter, as Rachel the younger. Now, she would be dressed up in marriage attire, which probably meant completely veiled, so you could not see her face. And the consummation of the marriage was also part of the ceremony, it was part of the feast and the festivities. And he arranged it in the evening, so it's under the cover of darkness. So she's veiled, it's dark. He's not, and she is complicit because she has to be. Her father has put her up to this. And so they go through this wedding. They go through the ceremony. And in the morning, it is Leah. It is not Rachel. The deception's really ironic, right? Because Jacob, what did he do? At one stage, he pretended to be the older brother, that he would receive the blessing. Now Laban, he dresses up his older daughter as the younger daughter. And he marries, in his mind, the wrong woman, not the one he worked for. So Jacob goes to Laban and confronts him. He's like, what have you done to me? <coughs> I served for Rachel, why did you deceive me? I thought this was really clear. We had a plan. But Laban, he hides behind social conventions. He's like, oh, we can't do that in our country. He could have said that right earlier, but it was convenient not to say that. What he did was inexcusable. What we see in Genesis 30, verse 27, a potential motivation for this deception, which was Laban's greed, because he says, through experience, I have learned that God has blessed me for your sake. So he's like, I want to keep this guy around as long as possible. And this was his ploy. This was his scheme. And he knew he he had him over a barrel. If he's willing to work seven years for Rachel, he'll work another seven for Rachel And so he demands it of him. If you want to marry Rachel, you need to work another seven years for me. And then he hides behind his family as well, because notice what he says. He says, we will give you this one also. So he's like, it's not really my choice. It's us, me and my family. We've decided. So he kind of throws them under the bus to cover for his lie. I mean, Jacob, in his position, it's like he's waited seven years, right? What's another seven days? So he's like, you fulfill Leah's wedding ceremony, seven days of festivities. Then after that, you can marry Rachel with the provision you work another seven years. Now, when the law of Moses was written hundreds of years later, this marital arrangement was forbidden among the Hebrews In Leviticus 18, 18, it says, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. And really, the only thing that surpasses the tragic conflict, um, it's just, it's a horrible thing that happened because they're all victims of this devious scheme. The whole family is like dysfunctional from the start because you have a woman being forced upon a man who did not want her. You have a man being prevented from the wife that he worked seven years to have. And then you have a Rachel who's been knowing that the marriage was going to happen. And then her sister took her place. And so everyone in the family is now at odds with one another. Everyone's mad at dad or father-in-law. The sisters are bickering with each other because they're not comfortable with this arrangement. And Jacob's just in the middle of everything. It's a very, it's just an awful situation situation. So this marriage, it was really stunted by the sister that wasn't, this was totally unexpected and a shocking development for everyone except to Laban. And this this situation illustrates at least two principles we see in scripture, reaping what you have sown and also God causing us to reap where we have not sown. Jacob, he had pretended to be the older son and He was actually the younger. He was tricked by being given the older sister when he wanted the younger. So it's like he's reaping what he's sown right then. However, despite his deception, God's promises to Jacob remain in full effect. God would cause Jacob to have great gain from this relationship in the end. He would basically plunder Laban and become extremely wealthy. He would have 12 sons and a daughter, through these relationships. And though Jacob sowed division and favoritism between his wives and his children, before his death, God would unite him with all of his children together. And he would have two sons from a son that he thought was dead. Because at one stage, Jacob thought that Joseph was dead. Joseph becomes ruler of Egypt. And now he has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that he adopts as his own. So God is so gracious in causing to prosper and to be successful despite our failings, despite others' deceivings. Like, God's just faithful. He's faithful to his word to keep his people. So Jacob ends up working 14 years to marry Rachel. Every one of those days that he's working, and he was with Laban for 20 plus years, we'll learn, every day God was working to refine him into a man of God, a man who was honest and humble and full of integrity, one of love and faith, a person who is a blessing by God. When he's brought before Pharaoh and he's told, lie about your occupation, don't say anything about being a shepherd because that's an offense. Before Pharaoh, he's like, what do you do? I'm a shepherd. (laughs) He's an honest man by the end. Like he's changed a lot. And God used that whole process and the deception and the pain of it to refine him into a godly person, someone who fears God and trusts him. And when it seemed that everything was against Jacob, there's a point where he's like, all this is against me. This is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Well, God was for him all that time. And how good it, it is for us to know God is for us when we follow him, when we trust him. How good he is. So will you receive a word of encouragement today? I enjoy baking. I enjoy offering what I bake. I usually bring something on a Friday night. I have brought baked goods that people decline to eat for various reasons and, and perfectly legitimate ones, right? Some people are like, oh, I just ate. You know, I'm full. Other people, uh, they're very polite and they're not interested in these offerings. Like, oh, no, thank you. Or some people may have an allergic reason or they're limiting their calories like I want to I'm trying to be better stay away from those kind of foods and not you know some people have said that's junk other people uh, you know are a little bit nicer (laughs) but uh, it's cool you know there are reasons why if I offer you something to eat that's a baked good you could say no thank you or no right Away from me. I'm not falling for that temptation. But there's no good reason to refuse encouragement by God given to you. He's offering you encouragement. You go, no, no, not for me. Not today. Not because of what I've done. Because of what's happened to me. Receive that encouragement from the Lord today when he offers it to you. Because you could be in a position like Jacob. You've been the victim of deceit. You've been cheated. You've been lied to. You may be like Leah, who, who is unloved and rejected. You may feel like Rachel, who's been slighted by her father and is now at odds with her sister and bickering with her husband because of this whole situation. But God's promises to you in his word remain in full force that he is with you, he will keep you, he will provide for you despite your sinfulness or your own failings. God is good towards his people. And many people, they'll perpetually take their dose of self-condemnation and despair when God's goodness and grace, it is the cure for what ails us. Do not cut yourself off from the God who has reached out to you from the cross, the God who has shed his own blood to redeem you and forgive you and to fill you with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And bitterness towards God or towards others will not help or heal you. Time does not heal all wounds, but exercise faith in God who forgives, who is full of mercy and compassion, who keeps his word to hear and save all who come to him. God's able to take a dysfunctional family and make them fruitful and make them a blessing to all nations. I mean, we're reading about people in this story through whom Jesus Christ descended our savior. It was through Leah, the wife Jacob didn't choose. Judah would be born. David would be born. Mary would be born, the mother of Jesus Christ. Wow. If God can use this family, if he can use a situation like that, he can do the same in your life. He can do the same with you when you look to him. And even when you're not looking to him, he still is faithful to his promise and his word. So punishing yourself for your faults, it does nothing to atone for your sin. Jesus shed his blood for our cleansing and our redemption and salvation. And if the enormity of your sin is, you think is beyond redemption, then you are making your sin more powerful than God who rose from the dead and defeated sin. He showed he defeated death in that moment. Psalm 50, 14 and 15, it says, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Let's thank God. Let's keep our word to God. He's going to be faithful to his word. He will deliver. Let's glorify him through our lives. So after seven days, Laban, he gives Rachel to Jacob as wife to serve him another seven years. To each of his daughters, he gave a maid, so she was like a servant. That was just a permanent helper. Verse 30, it says, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved. He also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, the Hebrew word for loved here is Ahab, which has a similar definition to the way we commonly say love. Like, we use love very loosely. We can say, I love you to my wife. We can also say, Um, I love our pet, or I love bacon and sleeping in, right? These are things we love. Now, there are degrees of our love, right? They're not all the same kind of love. It has to be within context. Um, But hopefully, the love that you have for your wife is different than a love for that double cheeseburger. There should be a difference between them. But this is the common word, that he loved her more. So there were degrees of, of Jacob's love. He loved one more than the other. He had a preference of one more than the other. And someone here who likes chocolate, well, your preference for that chocolate will depend upon how much cocoa is in that chocolate, right? So you can say, oh, I love chocolate. But do you like 70% chocolate? Oh, it's a little bitter. I like milk chocolate. I like it sweeter. Okay. So you have a preference within your love. You, you, You like one thing, or you're careful not to say the word love because you don't want to give the wrong impression. But it's a selective love, right? You will love one more than the other. You prefer one over the other. And that's the kind of preference that Jacob is showing between his wives. Our love is fickle. We love life one moment when all is well, and then we hate our lives when things are hard. Working for seven years for Rachel was like no obstacle at all because of the love that he had for her. But loving Leah was a chore. It was, his heart wasn't quite in it because he didn't ask for her. He didn't work for her. Now, Jesus speaks of God's love in John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the word for love here is agapeo, which is a verb. You've heard the word agape. That is a noun. So one is an active, an action that's being taken, and the other is a description of that action, that love takes action. And God demonstrates what his love looks like. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love, it's marked by sacrificial giving, serving, working, a commitment to act for the benefit of others. So Jacob, he shows his love for Rachel by 14 years of labor, then he married her. We don't read that Rachel loved Jacob. We don't see that. I would think she did. She would appreciate that sort of effort. But it was his love for her that prompted him to do the work, to stick it out for 14 years with a tough boss. God's love for sinners isn't based upon our worthiness it's not because, oh, they'll love me someday, so I'll, serve, so I'll save them. No, it's because of God's goodness and his grace that he loves us, that he gives to us, that he makes these exceedingly great and precious promises to us. Could you turn in your Bibles, please, to John 15, verse 9, words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. John chapter 15, verse 9. It's true that God loves everyone. It's faith in Christ that allows us to abide and receive his love and to have his love compel us to serve, to work, and to wait. God's love serves. And his love, it's a transformational love. It's a love that changes us. It's love that makes a way for us to be called children of God. And when we're born again, It says this in 1 John 4, 9. It says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So praise the Lord that we have this new life that's been opened up to us through Christ and through his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he demonstrated his love by dying in our place, by providing atonement for our sins so we can live through him and may our hearts and eyes be open to acknowledge and receive that, how God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we're to love as Christ loves us, and he gives us the example of what that love looks like. And it was taking up his cross, dying on the cross, and he suffered that bloody death so we could live. Love poured out to atone for our sin. So today we're going to receive communion together, and if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again follower of Jesus, you are welcomed and invited to partake of that. And uh, if, you, if you don't know Jesus at this stage, uh, my prayer is that you would come to him in faith, that you would receive him, that you would um, admit the fact that you've sinned and to receive that gift of salvation and forgiveness he offers by his grace. So it's like, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me, wash me. I want you. I want to live for you. And Jesus will transform your life completely. I mean, he is awesome. So all are invited to receive. It's like Jesus has done the heavy lifting for us, right? When, when Jacob went to the well, the well was covered over. And as Rachel brought her sheep, he rolled away the stone and he watered them. Jesus, he did what we could not do for ourselves and that he paid the price for our sin. The the sin that condemned us and doomed us to damnation, it's like he died on the cross, he was put in the tomb, a large stone was rolled in front of the mouth of the tomb, and after three days, an angel rolled the tomb away to reveal that Jesus was risen, that he's alive, that he had defeated death, that he can forgive sin, that he is God in human form. And it's Jesus who ascended to the Father, who's now given the Holy Spirit, the living water that fills us, that refreshes us, that empowers us. He empowers us to do the will of God. So that empty tomb, it proves that Jesus is alive, that he has given life to all who trust in him. And today we live through him. And the love of God in his people is evidence of Christ's life in us, that he is alive. Because this love, this agapeo love that serves, that that keeps on loving, that's active in pursuing an unworthy object, praise God for his love. Praise him for his grace and goodness. On our own, we would have sank like a stone in our sin without hope. We couldn't have pulled ourselves out, but he has redeemed us. He has purchased us and made us new. And so we are not alone. We're never on our own because Christ is with us. And he's given us one another. I think that's so important for us to realize that we are not alone and we have been, been bought with the blood of Jesus. We have been put into a body. Sometimes it can feel perhaps dysfunctional. But know that God is able to use us. He is the head of the body and he's made us all members of one another with individual gifts and he will use us for his glory as we yield to him and surrender to him. And even when we're not perfect at it, and who among us is, he is faithful. He keeps his word. He makes us fruitful by his grace. So be encouraged. Be strengthened in his love. Instead of a bitter cup, he's given us a cup of sweetness. He's given us fellowship with God by his grace. So I'd like to invite the team to come up to lead us in a song. And as they do... um, I invite people to come forward and take of the bread and the cup, and then I'll lead in a prayer. I believe there is some out in the foyer as well for those out there. And uh, let us pray. Thank you, Father, that you've sent Jesus to be our Savior, and he's demonstrated love for us through his death, his power through the resurrection, and his grace by offering the gospel to us that you have given to us free of charge this offer of salvation by your grace. Lord, we don't deserve to partake of this cup or eat of this bread. Thank you that your body was broken, that we could be made whole. Thank you that your blood was shed, that we could be washed and redeemed, our sins atoned for forever. Lord, I pray that we would receive encouragement from you today. We would not turn aside this offer of forgiveness or salvation because of any reason at all, but we would humble ourselves to come before you, hungry, thirsty, needing forgiveness, needing help and hope that we cannot get on our own. Thank you that you have given us the promise of the gospel that if we believe, we will receive eternal life. Thank you for this abundant life that Jesus has provided, and I pray that we would experience that life and we would demonstrate your love And that by, through our lives, Lord, your life would shine forth. The love of Jesus seen through us by your grace. And so I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for your faithfulness to forgive and to hear and to help and to guide and provide. And pray, Lord, that we would receive that today. And that we would celebrate you now and always in Jesus' name. Amen.